Good morning, good afternoon and good evening and welcome to another episode of A Dude and a Monkey as once and again we take you to the outer reaches of the Dude and a Monkey universe, a place where dudes are monkeys, monkeys are dudes and Tom Cruise is a bankable franchise starting actor. My name is Noel Meller, your host for the show, which can mean only one thing, no, Spider-Man didn't get an early release, it means we are once again in Dude and a Monkey in a mank mode to play it forward. Um, and as ever, I am joined in this endeavour by Matt Foster. Hello, everybody. Sweaty McSweaterson. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. We're playing it forward. And if you don't know what that means, um, basically what it is, is once in a while, uh, I give these two a night of hosting duties and we all gift each other a movie that we think the other will enjoy for some reason, furnishing their iTunes collection with a shiny new carbuncle of some description in the process. This time around, I have gifted Mark. Mark has gifted Ian, and Ian has gifted me. Uh, and so each giver will introduce their reasons for gifting the film before handing over to the receiver, who will offer his thoughts upon said film. Um, before we crack on, though, uh, as a fan of the show and a listener of the show, I have to ask, is there anything that happened in the world of film this week that we need to talk about at all? Uh, well, the... I guess there's uh, one Lord, big thing, really. Yeah, Lord and Miller have left uh, the um, the Han Solo movie, which I suppose is a, is a big thing. It was like five months into shooting. They've only got three weeks left, and now they walk. Is it that far shooting? Apparently, about five months. Wow. Yeah, there was. I heard somewhere there was a couple of months left of shooting. That's that's how I heard it. I, 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 I thought I thought it was literally like a few weeks into into like production, and it was just wow. That's that's deep in there. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe maybe there's more time left, but five months is apparently how long they've been going for. So I don't know, man. I mean, it's a bit. You get the guys who did 21 and 22 Jump Street and the Lego movie and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Did you not think they were going to want to do things at least a bit their own way? Well, that's we're in a very... They've, they've, they've certainly got a lot of cash in the bank as well. You know, they're, they're, they're bankable directors. It feels like we're in a similar situation to the Edgar Wright. Uh, Ant-Man thing here where I mean obviously this was a lot further down the line by the sounds of it um, but it's a little bit the studio has kind of taken on someone who I mean I don't even think they haven't really got a style um, they're just Mental. a bit cheeky and they will push things and a bit parodical and you know a bit zany a bit zany and they will mock things a little bit maybe but I can't imagine they were so far off really I mean you know, I, unless they were going for like seventies hair gags and stuff like that, I can't really see that. I mean, you just wouldn't, would you? It, it, the reason I compare it to the the, the Ant Man Edgar Wright situation as well is the unfortunate thing is we're never ever really going to know what's happened here, and that's bloody yeah. frustrating as a film fan. Even somebody who doesn't care too much about uh, the Star Wars universe, it's just frustrating that you know you're never going to know. Well, the most recent kind of rumor is that it was a, a script issue, mm. specifically. They haven't had the script for months. I, it's, I don't know, I mean, like, 
I I think maybe they wanted to go off script or something like that. And, you know, you've got someone like Donald Glover who's probably pretty fucking into that. And that Phoebe Waller, I I, I genuinely can't remember her name, the one who does Fleabag. Oh, the one from Fleabag, yeah. Yeah, so she's, because she's in it as well. And you'd imagine maybe she's got a bit of that going for her as well. So, and Woody Harrelson, you know, who, fuck, just did a, like live one take film or whatever it was in London so you got these people along with Phil Lord and Chris Miller who seem to be up for playing with things a bit but you've got them in Star Wars which is gonna it's only going to be more and more studio controlled as it goes now because it has made these new ones have made so much money that they are going to want to keep their their, their 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 eye on it and fair play because they're investing a lot of money. But oh, fucking hell, like, doesn't it? Like, I mean, if 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 anything else, they're in a safer position to employ someone like Lord and Miller to 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 just alter the tone just a little bit because you know people are going to the general public don't give a shit who these two people are. They're going to go and see Star Wars. This film will make. An ex- yeah. extremely large sum of money, so I don't understand the. I don't understand. I don't personally understand the fear myself. It's not a gamble, is it? It's, it? it's it's less of a gamble than Rogue One was because this is a character that we actually know. That's fair. That's fair. I yeah. Mean, it's the, the, thing, and the thing is, you know, they're going to have NDAs. It, you mm. know, it, it's going to be like if you talk within a certain period of time you're going to owe us X percentage of what we've already paid you up to this point or something like that, you know? Um, Mm. And also the fact that they've left with just the creative differences thing. So, you know, they're going to try and be amicable, even though shit obviously went down, but Mm. it, it it just, it's going to be interesting to see what they do now. Cause it's like, do they try to do the blockbuster thing again? Or do they try and, go smaller and get some of that back. I mean, to be fair, from film Twitter view, at least we're only one day in, but it kind of seems like it's all Kathleen Kennedy's fault and it's not Lord and Miller's fault at all. It's just them trying to protect their mm-hmm. own vision. And, you know, I, I don't know. It just it, it feels like Kathleen Kennedy has been very widely praised for her stewardship of the Star Wars franchise. And this one thing happens where a, a, a pair of hot shit directors run into trouble with it. And then suddenly, oh, you know, no one was comp- decrying it too much when there were all these rumours about Gareth Edwards being um, like taken out of the editing room for Rogue One. Why? Because Gareth Edwards isn't a particularly cool director. No, no but you're right. It, it, we are three films deep and it, it's already... You know, there's there's two of the directors or two of the directing teams, I suppose you could call it, um, have already had issues. And let's face it, they got in J.J. Uh, Abrams to, because they knew that he was the steadiest pair of blockbuster hands you can get. It's actually it's actually three if you count um, uh, Josh Trank, but that seems probably slightly more um, reasonable on on on, start, on on Disney's part. Which one was he gonna do? Was he? I think was was, was he, he doing, doing this or was he doing like, Han Solo? Fuck. He was originally doing Han Solo, wasn't he? But he was kicked off it before he even started. Yeah, yeah. he was I, kicked off sort of mid. He, he, he probably turned up and went. 
What if you really like weed? Yeah. I think he was kicked off around the time everything was going crazy around Fantastic Four. Yeah, like that 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 kind of just feels like that might have just been wise. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the main concern for me now um is you know, you say Ian, that obviously they're they've they're towing the line and they're playing it safe because they don't want to get stung for money if they talk about it. The, con- the bigger concern for me is Disney. Ha- Disney now holds the keys to a lot of uh, toy boxes, mm-hmm. and I do enjoy these the work of these two directors, everything that I've seen so far, and I'd like to see them get their hands on something interesting, uh, and I would like to see them get their hands on a comic book film. Um, you know, so I hope that they do manage to part amicably with Disney because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff that Disney has that they could that they could be good for. Either that, or they just go make the Plastic Man movie, like I said on on WhatsApp the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make the Plastic yeah. Man movie, cast Sam Rockwell. Failing that, cast um, John Jake Johnson, is it? Um, you know. Get our movie made. Somebody needs to make a Plastic Man movie. And Jack Johnson, Jack Johnson need, needs a big movie. And Jake Johnson needs, yeah, exactly. You know, not, not, not needs. Jake Johnson deserves a big movie. Agreed. He needs a shot. He needs a yeah, shot. He does. Because uh, he, he, I think we said on a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about the mummy, he, he seems like the guy who all he needs is to be cast in the lead role of something big. And that's it. He'll go Chris Pratt's stratosphere. Well, that's what prompted me to think of that today. Actually, just I've always thought that uh, Sam Rockwell would be a great plastic man. Yeah. Um, but he's kind of getting on a bit, Sam Rockwell now, and I can't imagine he he he'd want to. Um, and I think you know what they would be looking for is is somebody you know another Chris Pratt. Um, so yeah, why not give me that guy? I think I think Sam Rockwell would do it if he got to dance plenty. Yeah, and he would. <laughs> God, I'd love to see that film. I would. Because that man loves a fucking dance. <laughs> um, okay, anything else we want to cover off before have, we move on? Have you guys seen the runtime for Dunkirk? No. Three and a half hours. One hour, 47 minutes. Really? really? Yeah. Wow, oh, that's good. That's a surprise. That means yeah. I'll actually see it. And, as well, um, Nolan has absolute final fucking cut on his movies, so... Yeah. Well, but I, I remember seeing where he, he did state that um, that this one, that people might be surprised at how long this was, and everybody thought that that meant, uh-huh. shit, you're looking at three <laughs> and a bit hours. And when the question was then put to him, oh, why is that? And he said, because... There's an amount of time you need to take to tell this story, and that's the amount of time I'm going to take to tell it. So a lot of people at the time, I think, were thinking, "Shit, this could be like three, like nearly four hours long." But yeah, that's under two hours. No one hasn't done an under two hours since following. Oh no, uh, this is shortest since following. But yeah, I think Insomnia might have been just under two hours. Was it? Was actually two hours? I thought it was just over. That's fucking. That's 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 actually loads more interesting than if it was like three and a half hours long. Yeah, I'm. I'm apparently as well. There's not an awful lot of dialogue in it. 
it, it, yeah, I heard that a while ago. Yeah, it's kind of like it's telling its story through the visuals, and it's just going to kind of blow you away. Fucking hour and forty with like before credits. Fuck it, bring it. Yeah, that's that's fucking no surprise in the room with that. That's just, I mean, the thing is that is just in and out. Like, I mean. Judging by the poll at the moment, next week we're going to be doing Transformers The Last Night, which is 149 fucking minutes long. Yes! <laughs> and I think if we do, I think Noel's going to join us for it, maybe. Yes, I'm going on Sunday. Okay, so, yeah. alright, uh, Can I ask a quick question about that film? Do I need to have seen all of the other ones? Because I've not... I, Could I just watch the last one? I'm go, yeah, I'm going to watch, yeah. rewatch Age of Extinction. It's on Netflix, so. Oh right, I might 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 even watch that tonight. How yeah, long I is might, it? I might rewatch it as well. And actually, is it three it's weeks long? It, it is. Wow. <laughs> it was forty-five minutes long. It might as well be three weeks long. It'll take me three weeks to watch it. To be honest, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, to be honest, it's. In, in the grand scheme of things, if if that's the first Transformers film you see... I mean, I know Ian from a long time ago said that he liked the first one. I've never really liked any of these films, and I'm a huge Transformers fan, um, and I've never liked any of these films. But if you're starting with this last one, there are worse places you can start. I mean, it's, the second and third ones are appalling, <laughs> especially the second one. It's... Is there like yeah. a previously on Transformers of Anarchy on this or anything like that that I can just fucking blast through? Well, I, I, think, mean, I don't think you need it. For, for, for I think if you're starting at four, four kind of it doesn't reboot, but it's sort of it's as close to a reboot as they as, they yeah. got as, as they wanted to get. Yeah. I'll fuck it. I, 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 do you know what? I, I'll treat it as I'm watching a two-hour, forty-five-minute Mark Wahlberg movie. That's exactly the attitude to take, yeah. That's that's what I'm doing on Sunday. I mean, his character's called Cade Yeager. Like, how can you not like that? Cade Yeager? Cade Yeager. I kind of want a kid now. <laughs> Fucking, you You are getting broody, you son of a bitch. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. It's not happening, but I'm getting a little bit broody. Oh, he, claimed to come round to, he claimed to come and visit me the other week, but... That was a fucking fraud. That I can't visit your children. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm thinking of maybe coming up to Manchester for Dunkirk, go see it at the IMAX. Yes, anyways, do yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. I did say I did say when Mark was here actually, if you do want to do that, then you can come and crash here. I'll go watch it with you, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll record and stuff. So, yeah, if you. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Go on, I'll look out. Some Especially now I know it's less than two fucking hours. Hour and forty-seven minutes. Who would have? I mean, like Christ. I wish Bet365 did odds on will you know what will the runtime on Dunkirk be? Like, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of betting I want to do, man. You know, it's like I just who would have thought it? Who would have thought it? But I, I, Robbie Collins got me quite excited for the Transformers. I got to say, just because he's talking about how the last half hour or so, the action climax is just. Basically, uni- like smashing two planets against each other or something, and it's like, yep, yeah, fine. I, I, you know what? I will watch two planets being smashed up against each other. I've got a feeling any of the human interactions are going to be appalling, mm. but I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch the robot fighting. Well, this is it. My whole, my whole. Uh, for some reason, I felt excited about this over the last week or so. Now, part of that is because. 
I've always been a, a fan of Transformers since I was a kid. I've been rereading the comics through this sort of subscription thing. Um, all the comics that I used to, to read, I've been sort of reading them religiously and I'm really enjoying that. Um, and also, I'm just kind of in the mood for going to the cinema and just escaping and watching some silly shit. Uh, and I love Mark Wahlberg. So it's, 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 my whole thing is I just want to have fun on a Sunday evening for two and a half hours. Um, so fuck it. Yeah. Let's do it. Why not? It's the worst that can happen. Exactly. Well, it's 73% to 27% with just under 12 hours left. So, uh, I think it's probably going to be Transformers. Good, good. Uh, I, I yes. think I feel like I might have seen something that suggests a certain character that I'm interested in is appearing in this one as well. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure he won't be the character as I remember him, but uh, because none of the characters in this fucking franchise ever have been. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to that if that is if that is the case. Okay, I mean, I just I'm gonna completely just bow down to you while you talk about Transformers I think if we do that like I it'll be interesting like have we we didn't review a Transformers show on Heroes did we oh, no we have we not have, have we I don't know I feel I feel like we, t- we definitely talked about two at one point but I, d- I think it might have just been in a what we watched or something yeah okay because I remember just being infuriated with the second film so much that uh it was so confusing and so boring. I just, I remember we did, I was working in a cinema and we did like a midnight tech screening of it while we had like a midnight sh- public showing playing and we were like testing the other print. And like, I just, I got out of it and then I, I walked out of the doors and it was starting to get light and it was like, how long have I been in that building for? It was so fucking depressing. <laughs> and it was just like, I just did that for that. And I was going in liking the first one. Yeah. You know, and then Transformers 3, I d- again, did a tech screening of it, fell asleep for about 10 minutes, which was the best part of the film. Um, and Transformers 4, I think I illegally downloaded it. So there's that. Oh, what's up with Lottie? I'm sure she's okay. Hang on, sorry guys, two things. Don, what's yeah. going on with her? Is she okay? Oh, okay, that's weird. Alright, sorry about that. Fair enough. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I mean, it's... <clears throat> the thing is, I'm kind of up for Transformers 5, but I've got a feeling it's like having a drunken moment of like... Wouldn't it be awesome if I just, like, tried to, I don't know, I don't know, something fucking stupid, and then you start doing it, and then it's like, that was a, this is a terrible idea, why am I still doing this? Yeah. I've, I've got a feeling <laughs> ten minutes in, it's going to be that. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what if I tried to have sex with this Hoover, and then... That's the kind of thing I was In the middle for. of... In the middle of having sex with a Hoover, your dick gets stuck. And you're like, fuck, this was a really bad idea. <laughs> We've all been there. Anyway, so uh, the news is um, Star Wars bad, Transformers good. Yes. Um, I think. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? 
That's definitely okay. Should we? Should we crack on? Yeah, boy. All right. So uh, yeah. So as I say, then this time around, I've gifted Mark. Mark's gifted Ian, and Ian has gifted me. Um, Shall I start the ball rolling with Mark? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, a little bit about the thought process. So there's there's various ways that we kind of. Uh, I'm sure we all have our own ways of kind of 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 doing this and coming up with different things. Uh, Mark isn't isn't that easy to buy for because although I understand and know his taste, uh, I feel quite well and share a lot of his taste. He's fucking seen everything, so he's difficult to he's difficult to pick for in that in that regard. Um, However, this time around, I took a different, a slightly different approach. I picked something that I had that I wanted to rewatch that I thought would be, that I'd not seen for a long time, that I thought he'd get on with and that I thought he'd be able to get some good chat out of, some good um, discussion out of. So it was less about appealing to Mark's taste and it was more about, I know this is a good film. And I think there's a discussion around it uh, potentially from Mark. So, um, so that was kind of the thought process. Um, and I have picked, um, Black Caesar from, uh, 1973, also known as the Godfather of Harlem. Um, one of the reasons that I'm a huge fan of this film is I do like a bit of black exploitation. I absolutely love, uh, Fred Williamson. Um, Larry Cohen is uh, a filmmaker that I've had uh, a lot of fun with in the past. Um, he's done a lot of uh, trash over the years and, and, and highly, highly uh, enjoyable stuff he's been involved in too. Um, so yeah, uh, Larry Cohen's 1973 movie, Black Caesar. Mark, what do you think? Uh, well, at first, when you suggested it, I, I did look at him thing. As soon as you just, I thought, Ah, I've not seen that. Why have I not seen that? And I looked, it, I thought, is it the movie? I think it is. And I looked at it, I looked it up and went, yeah, why have I not seen that? It's, I'm the same, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big friend of Fred Williamson. I like Larry Cohen. Um, I like Black Exploitation. Um, I remember first um, reading about Black Caesar when I read a, um, funnily enough, it was a book I read in the mid nineties, uh, early and mid nineties, um, about um, Robert De Niro and how he researched each of his roles um, up to I think it was up to oh, Cape Fear, and one of them was um, the the films he watched. Uh, because he'd, he'd ask the directors that he was working with what he could watch to get an idea about what the film was about. And one of the films that um, Sergio Leone got him to watch um, when he was making Once Upon a America was Black Caesar. Um, and back in, in the sort of mid 90s, it, it was early mid 90s, it was really difficult to get hold of um, anything that wasn't. I mean, you'll remember this, Noel. Anything that wasn't available as standing in a video shop, uh, yeah. it was difficult to get hold of. And so it, it piqued my interest for a little bit, and I tried to find it for a little bit, but then it, I went on to something else probably um, quite quick, quickly after that. And so it, it, as soon as mentioned it, it kind of jarred that memory. And then you think, shit, you know, why have I never gone, ah, oh, fuck, I'll be able to get hold of this now and just either bought it or downloaded it or whatever. So, yeah, I was very much kind of like, 
I'm very much looking forward to this now. Uh, I really enjoyed it. it it's um, it's very atypical of the um, of, of sort of a lot of black exploitation and seventies black exploitation, especially the the early wave of black exploitation, in the fact that it's um, it, it, it's tonality and the way that it moves uh, is very much kind of played out by its its budget and by its director, like Owen, you know, whenever he directs a movie, he. He directs low budget movies. There's no getting away from it. You know, he might have written some higher budget movies uh, in the more recent sort of times of his career. But his directorial movies, they're often quite low budget. And often black exploitation movies were quite low budget because they were appealing to uh, a certain audience that, um, that at the time they weren't considered to be the mass audience. You know, when you're dealing with essentially a, a very specific audience, you're not going to get the budgets that, that you would normally get. And that's why, you know, American pictures, uh, American national pictures, you know, they picked up these movies and they're... Their thing was that they, you know, as long as you had a cool title and a cool poster and you could show a cool trailer, fuck it, you get people yeah. in cinemas, and that's what Black Caesar does. But then occasionally you've got very good movies that worked on that, and Black Caesar was certainly one of those. Um, starts out really strongly as well. Um, you've got that opening little bit of uh, love yeah. yeah, the opening scene. It, it's you very much go right in the opening five minutes, which is almost like a short sort of setup film for the rest yeah. of the movie. If you aren't taken by that, then you aren't gonna you're not you're not gonna enjoy what you're gonna get. But within that first five minutes I was like, yeah, alright, I know what I'm in for. Yeah, sit back and let it kind of let it take you over and it, it does that. Fantastic performances, great soundtrack. Um, yeah. that James Brown soundtrack is fantastic. Um and it's it's a really fucking cool movie. There's that as well, you know. That's the thing that, that you have to take a lot of away from this. And I was watching um, a after I watched the movie, I watched um, a kind of interview. Uh, you know, one of those interviews where you don't actually hear the questions that are being asked. Uh, you just hear the responses. Uh, with Quentin Tarantino talking about his love for, for black exploitation, and obviously Quentin Tarantino talking about movies in any way is always fascinating because the guy has such energy and passion, and it, you know he's he's talking about it and just going on about how much fucking how cool it is and how much fun it is and how it, it made him kind of it was the first movie he'd seen with Fred Williamson that he was like ah oh, fuck it, that's the guy that's the coolest guy I've seen in cinema and you know he's he's even cooler than fucking Shaft and he's doing all of the the typical Quentin Tarantino bits and you look at going he's right yeah yeah and I think that the thing that I like about this as well, being a fan of Fred Williamson, is, is it's kind of it's early Fred Williamson as well. Very I mean, early Fred Williamson, yeah. yeah, he's he he'd done a couple of leads uh, lead performances before this, um, Hammer, um, and uh, another film that I'm not going to uh, mention because of the title. Um, the uh, Legend of Legend Edward of Charlie. Hammer. Let's just call it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, this is kind of quite early on in his career, and he does he looks young. And he's not doing the exact sort of, you know, Fred the Hammer Williamson stuff that he does much later in his career. Um, uh, 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 but he's he's kind of he's a bit more fresh faced and he's a bit you can believe that he's somebody sort of discovering himself um, and sort of um, learning to be a badass and 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 figuring out ways to sort of um, get around the the white black divide by just doing his own thing. Um, 
and he's he's absolutely brilliant. He, he's he's in a, a um, oh, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, uh, an Enzo Castellari film from the mid eighties, which was um, uh, where is it? I can't remember the name of it. It's just completely. It's a. Oh, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, you see, sort of later on in his career, is when he's a bit deeper voiced and he's a bit more gruff and and stuff like that. Um, he grows into a slightly different kind of badass. Um, and I'll take Fred Williamson over 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 any of the sort of black exploitation actors. He's, he's he's absolutely fantastic, and he's fantastic in this as well. Yeah, absolutely. He's got such a an energy, and he's he's it's an interesting character because he's not he's cool, he's quite calm as a character, and you know he he only has his moments where he he, he cracks towards um, towards the end of the movie and when he gets really starts to get angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the other thing as well is it's you know you say that it's. Um, you say that it's a low budget movie and, and yes, it is a low budget movie. The one thing I've never been able to understand is, you know, 1973, James Brown is, 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 is peaking and this is a full on James Brown soundtrack. You know, you can't imagine now, I don't know who the, the equivalent sort of black artist who's at the peak of his powers would be. Um, I know Kanye or something. You can't imagine Kanye West doing a, an asylum film you know a soundtrack for an asylum film or something it just seems odd that they would have such a low budget for the film but then have this sort of you know monster of of funk and soul to do well, an entire soundtrack for i mean the strange right, thing is that um, behind four you know that, that, right, exactly yeah exactly yeah sorry i mean the thing is with 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 the the whole sort of james brown thing there is it's the funny thing with that is you still had um in even the early 70s, James Brown was, was still predominantly playing to uh, audiences that were yeah. actually actually signs up saying black-only audiences, to which James Brown was like, fucking no, I, I, I don't want that. You know, you, why, why? Why is why is that even a thing? I, I want, you know, if white folks want to come in and watch me, white folks can fucking come in and watch me. I don't yeah, knowing James, knowing James Brown, that probably had less to do with like, uh, you know, removing the racial divide, and probably just more to do with cash. Oh yeah, that's that's, that's probably it. You know, he's he, he probably did say you know white you know white folks you know they'll they'll come and they'll spend money on drinks yeah. and and the, <laughs> and the runners well. Um, it's Bronx Warriors. The Bronx, yes, it's uh, Bronx Warriors. It's not Bronx Warriors. Is it Bronx Warriors? It is Bronx Warriors. Nineteen ninety years. Yeah, I'm getting mixed up because there's a third Bronx Warriors film which isn't the third Bronx Warriors film, and that's what confuses me, and I get them all yeah. mixed up. But it is. It's it's. United, the Bronx Warriors, and he plays the sort of leader of a gang in in that, um, and he's excellent in that. That he's I think it was it was actually that film that turned me on to um, first of all Enzo Castellari, but also uh, Fred Williamson. And from there, I went off and watched a, a bunch of black exploitation films that I'd not seen, including this, uh, and also Three the Hard Way. I don't know if you've ever seen Three yes. the Hard Way. Yeah. Oh my God, Three the Hard Way is good. It's 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 better than this. It's it's Three the Hard Way is just fucking incredible. Um, yeah, excellent. Yeah, so you, you watched it as well, Yeah, God, yeah, I did. Of course, I did. Um, yeah, I mean, I I was I was with it until he raped his missus. Uh, yes, that that bit is a little. 
it, that's a, a bit that doesn't transfer to modern times as much as maybe it was like, always. Like, I don't care, I'll rape you. It's like, whoa, shit. <laughs> like, okay, so he's acknowledging that it's seen as a no-no, but oh, he's, yeah. he's just going to go and do it anyway. Um, I also, I was... I was kind of surprised by how it's, the music seemed to influence the music of Black Dynamite, and primarily in the way that sometimes it was telling the story of the film. Like, literally, there's that funeral, and James Brown yeah. is singing Mama's Dead. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> which was, um, I, I all felt parodic, even though it obviously wasn't. And they use it in a very specific way there as well, because there's no suggestion that, that Mama is dead until you're just suddenly at a funeral yeah. and you're hearing James Brown say, Mama's dead. So it's like, oh, right, OK, well, I'm caught up. <laughs> but it was almost like they forgot to film a bit that, where, you know, yeah. where, like, the mum dies. Like so it yeah. was just like, right, James, can, can you just do us, like, a 20-second <laughs> sting just talking about Mama's dead? Sure, yeah, why not? You know, yeah, I mean, it felt like that. I mean, it's, um, I had fun with it, don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, I was well in until then. Like you say, Mark, the mini, the like the mini movie at the start is great, and the way he's building up his empire and just like fucking over the white man and whatnot. But there, there, there is a bit of a disconnect between him on the rise and him on the fall it's very much he's on the rise he's on the rise he's on the rise you don't get any of him really being on the top at all it's just straight away it's, it starts falling yeah uh, he, he, he does very much it is it is a rise and fall movie there's no like you said there, there's no him having fun or him being the boss it's just he's getting up to be the aspect of the boss Oh, we're a few years in the future, and then he's getting taken yeah. up. And this is my fundamental criticism that I have of this film this time around. Um, I didn't notice this the first time around for whatever reasons. I think I was just enjoying it uh, so much that time. But this time around, and, and I would very, very rarely say this, this film could do with being a fair amount longer. It could do with yeah. a good extra half hour sure. of, 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 of character building and story building in there. If they wanted to, you know, because like you say, the section where you cut to sort of the, the funeral, that feels like there's a chunk of the movie that's that's gone. Then a little bit later on, and I think Ian, you mentioned this on WhatsApp, when it cuts back to the friend who's run off with his wife and they've had two kids. There's and you're no, like, fucking up. Well, I thought this was just like the next day or something. What's, what's happened? What and had... it feels like it powers through quite a bit too quickly and you kind of want to get to know everybody a little bit more and, and it feels like there's a sort of, you know, there's an almost Godfather-like saga there, but yeah. they don't play it out. They just crack on to the next thing. They've had, because there's the scene where they've just had the baby and the guy's in there and he's like, right, you're going to fucking steal that, that shit and sleep with mm -hmm. him. Otherwise, you know, we're going to do you for X, Y, and Z. And then she sleeps with him uh, they get his diary and then try to uh, assassinate him. And then, isn't it he's shot there? And then yeah. he calls the house and suddenly they've got two kids. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's like, it does it does feel like, hang on, so did they have two kids all along? Because he was only talking about <coughs> the one baby earlier on. Yeah. Now suddenly they've got two. And it assumes... 
Yeah, it assumes that you've kind of it assumes that you've accepted time has passed, but it doesn't feel like time has passed. And the fact that he's been shot, and yeah. it's like at least a couple of years have spanned. If it's just like Black Caesar has been walking around Harlem for two years <laughs> with a gunshot wound, fine, <laughs> I'll take that. But it just it doesn't. It does, the, 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 one of these things is not like the other, you know. It's it's just it's yeah. uh, it's very odd there. And you mentioned that scene as well, where the uh, the white cop guy goes to visit her to tell her, um, you know, to to go and fuck him, basically. Mm. Um, how uncomfortable was the way he was stroking that child? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know if that was intentional or not, though. I was just sat there. Will you put? that child down because <laughs> it's freaking me out yeah just like weirdly stroking its face slash head you can see the child was like what the fuck is this i went to stage school like who is this guy <laughs> he's fucking honky stroking me <laughs> so yeah yeah it was a bit like it was a bit weird it, it, are you completely right that it could do with being like an extra 20 minutes half an hour longer which yeah. would still make it a, an easily watchable runtime, but would make it would would kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. It's a very classic story, and it's a classic story that in this time that this time around has been done within the framework of black exploitation, and I feel like that classic Godfather styling to it could have been applied a little bit more and made it a bit more of an epic, and you know, even down to the fact that y- you get that he's been um you know looking out for his best friend his entire life because it tells you but you never really get that sense i mean you see him early on because he's the kid with the glasses uh, and you know he he's going to be the brains of the operation and that type of thing you never really get the feeling that they've been through that much together um so when he sleeps with his wife you're a little bit like well yeah that's just because you just sent that guy who as it turns out is your best friend off to go and live with your wife in a house in fucking and, and, you know, and look after her and stuff like that. It doesn't feel, I don't know. There's so much that's, that could be fleshed out so much. What's quite interesting about it is it is, um, black Caesar is kind of influenced or based loosely on a, um, a 1931 film called little Caesar, uh, which, uh, which strangely enough, um, that was a Warner brothers movie, I think. Uh, and then United Artists it's not James Cagney. I, don't I feel like I've seen that. Um, it's uh, I think it's Douglas Fairbrass. Uh, and but then that um, United Artists response to to kind of that being really popular was to make Scarface. Yeah. Which of course then influenced Scarface, the nineteen eighty three movie, which you also have the the friend thing but it's with the sister and things like that so there's, there's, there's a lot of kind of influences and there's a lot of that it's a very classic gangsters movie in that in that sense than the rise and the fall kind of thing there's a lot to be taken from these movies and it, it shows how each of them can kind of you can almost trace them all back because each, mm. each of them is borrowing from this because that's borrowing from that because that was influenced by that and that was influenced by this and, and everything's by that and it just shows that that, all, that you know that you 
you can pretty much you can put a pin in early gangster sort of movies when they sort of became popular around these sort of late twenties, early thirties. And you can pretty much go, right, well, they were really popular then and then they, they basically once um you know you had the code of ethics came in uh in the you know mid forties that then you had running through, you know, up until really up until sort of like the, the mid kind of sixties. And then, you know, the the gangster thing wasn't really as much movies weren't really as much of a thing and they started to come back in in the late sixties, early seventies and then we had a big wave of them, you know, between, you know, seventy two and you know, the, the sort of the early eighties, you had a ten year past where they were they were popular again and then they went out again and then um you know now you know then you had the um in the early 90s which we'll come to um later on in the show mm. you had the the gangster movies that were based, based again like the black exploitation movies there were this the new crop of um heavily black youth culture movies and then it moved that kind of segue into you know the, the very sort of boston centric uh, gangster movies that we've got now yeah, and it's funny as well. I never realised before that there was actually a se- I, there was a sequel to this, Hell Up in Harlem, which I've heard of, but I didn't realise was a sequel to this. Oh, um, right. Directed by Larry Cohen again, starring Fred Williamson again, starring Gloria Hendry as his wife again. Um, so it, it it does sort of pick up the story and um, which well, obviously as well, wasn't it? Sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, apparently, according to this, it was, well, according to IMDb, it was the same year, but obviously that can't be. But, I mean, they cranked out movies um, at all sorts of rates back then. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to check that out because I'd heard of Hell Up in Harlem, but I didn't know what it was. Certainly didn't know that it was uh, that it was a, a full-on sequel, which is interesting because it, knowing that now makes the ending to, to this feel um, a little weaker maybe just because you know there's a suggestion that he's he's sort of ashes to ashes a little bit he's kind of do you know what i mean he's been he's been killed by the very people yeah. that he was in the place where he, he he was born um but obviously apparently he he is not dead so no oh, i'll tell, tell you what don't read the about the film on itunes for hell up in harlem Kind of seems to give, like, just basically give you a summary of the entire fucking plot. Oh, does it? Yeah, shit. All right. Well, yeah. It's two forty nine to rent on uh, iTunes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm all over that. To be fair, I, yeah. I I agree. It definitely kills the kind of the, the what the power that the the ending has. But like, just the the title. I mean, the, the sorry, the cover art is basically. Fred Williamson with it's a, a bit bondy, isn't it? A gun, and yeah, yeah, it is very bondy, isn't it? Yeah. Like I'm up for that. I, I yeah, I think I'll be watching that as well. Actually, yeah. yeah, definitely. Looks like his dad's back in it as well, but he's wearing a pimp hat. Yeah, so yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. He, 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 I'll, I'll be honest. He, his dad in the picture I'm looking at it looks insanely like Samuel Jackson. <laughs> Don't tell Samuel L. Jackson that he gets upset about that type of thing. It could be, it could be Larry Fishburne, but it might be Samuel L. Jackson. It's the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the soundtrack for this. Oh wait, no wait. Is it Morgan Freeman? No, it's Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> soundtrack uh, by Edwin Starr in uh, in in this one. So. Oh, that's a bit of a come down. Yeah. Incidentally, uh, as well, um, quick factoid. Uh, 
James Brown only became started to be called the Godfather of Soul uh, after the re released the soundtrack of Black Caesar. Oh, interesting. That was where it was coined, apparently, in a write up about that. And he liked it so much that he basically said, from now on, that's what I want to be called. Nice. Yeah, doesn't the but isn't it the Black Caesar soundtrack that um, that has the song from Spider Man Three as well? Or am I mixing that up? I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, Drive your, I think it's called Drive Your Funky Soul or something. Um, you know, from from Spider Man Three, the sort of Black Spider Man sequence where he's walking down the street and dancing. Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, there was one song in this that I was like, that I definitely heard this somewhere. It maybe, might maybe, not be. Maybe it was that. Brown, drive your funky soul. Oh no, it's not. That's from it's from Motherload. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's there's the big payback which is um, used in the Django soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, that might be it. I yeah, I think that's where you'll probably hear it from. Know it from. Okay, well, sounds like it was uh, it was a hit all round. So, uh, Mark, you would pay that forward? Then it's a film you'd recommend. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. If you're into, into your black exploitation movies, then and you've not, well, you probably would have seen it. But I'd I, I give it a heartily recommend. Yeah, I was I was very happy with my time with it. I think actually, I'd, I'd never thought like that as well. Actually, I think if you had never seen a black exploitation movie, this would be a good starting place. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, do you know what? It would be. It'd be a better starting place than some of the. Um, It'd be a better starting movies. place than Shaft, I think. It'd be a better starting place than Shaft. It'd be a better starting place than um, Foxy Brown. Um, yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I, in fact, I'd go as far as to say I think it would be a really nice introduction into black exploitation. And if you like that, you like certain elements of that, then you can start going through the yeah. more sort of perceived classics uh, of, of the, the subgenre, I suppose. Yeah, I think if you like this, then immediately go and watch Three the Hard Way because it's fucking awesome. <laughs> yes. Right. So. Um, Excellent. Right. So uh, that was. Um, a drink if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, uh, Mark, Ian's going to get a drink, and then when we return, we'll um, find out what Mark sent him. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Building up, building up to the, the climax. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have no desire to rewatch Transformers one, two, or three ever again in my life. <laughs> I'm pretty I sure Transformers I'm, two on Blu-ray. <laughs> I've never watched it. Why the fuck did you do that? Because I saw it for £2 and it, 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 it essentially it's a special edition um, where it's it's actually a car that stands up. Oh. <laughs> and I wanted to play with the car. Nice. Okay, shall we push on? Yeah, man, let's do it. Okay, so we've had um, my pick for Mark. Uh, now we're going to have Mark's pick for Ian. Uh, Mark, do you want to introduce us to the film? Yeah, the film I picked for Ian uh, is the 1992 um, sort of noir crime film, uh, Deep Cover, starring Lawrence Fishburne and um, oh, Jeff Goldblum, uh, also directed by Bill Duke. It, and the reason why I chose it is I uh, it was a constant kind of rent movie for me. I used to rent it on sort of several occasions. Uh, I did actually try and do the usual thing of what I do if I rented something more than twice is I just sort of do a copy of it for myself uh, but they occasionally very very occasionally films had um, a caption decoder on them which meant if you did that all of the, the fucking actual picture just scrambled uh, which was very irritating for uh, the burgeoning movie pirates oh is that so, when it would like go black and white a little bit and then a massive line would kind of go down the, the like, yes it was indeed yeah man yeah 
I know that. I know that shit. <laughs> yeah. So so I, I just I just used to rent it quite a bit, which is quite good because it actually it went down to like a pound rental quite quickly afterwards. And I think I actually remember the guy in the video shop saying, I think literally you have paid for this movie uh, already. And it was and at that point, you know, you were still in sort of the days where it, it you know. You, you couldn't just go to um, your local video shop and buy deep cover. The place you could get it was, and it feels fucking weird. But, but we are talking 25 years ago, and, you know, the, the ability to, to just go out and buy VHSs, all VHSs, didn't really kick in until sort of like the mid to, to late 90s. And I rewatched it a couple of years ago um, just to see how it held up, to be honest, and just to give it a bit of a, a rewatch. And I was reminiscing about my VHS days and was actually surprised at how fucking good it was and how well it held up and how how kind of dark and biting it was. I think at the same time, I also watched um, like New Jack City and a few of the other ones and they didn't hold up quite as well. Um, but Deep Cover kind of stood out to me and it's, uh, I think part of the reason why it stood out so much was because of that that noir element and that noir sort of tint that it took um, in its, its approach, uh, especially the, 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 the voiceover that you've got from Fishburn. Uh, and I was also going through a bit of the Fishburn phase as well. Uh, so that, that kind of took it there and I, I thought, do you know what? I remember Ian saying he hadn't seen it, and then I rewatched it again when I it eventually came down on iTunes. Um, I saw it like six ninety nine one time, and I bought it then and rewatched it. And Ian sort of game when I mentioned it on the podcast, Ian said that he, that he kind of wanted to see it, and so I, I, I took that, I took advantage of that, and thought, Do you know what? There we go. It'll be one that I have a feeling Ian will at least get something out of. Also, as well, I thought that Noel would probably quite enjoy a rewatch of it, give him an excuse to rewatch it, and of course, give me an excuse to rewatch it. I uh, yeah I I enjoyed this. Um, I'm, I'm glad to I'm glad to have it in my collection. Whether I'd rewatch it often, I don't know, but I would watch it again. Um, it's a weird combination of kind of stone cold serious Larry Fishburne and Goldblum just kind of having a bit of a laugh for most of it. Um, even though. Goldblum intense is a kind of a weird thing, and <laughs> he on a, on occasion with this, I think he he really does well. Like the the scene where um it it it, it like they in the voiceover it just says like I was I was having a great time, and then it all started to go wrong, and then it's uh, like the Italian guy's kind of taking the piss out of him, and like yeah. the slaps game. That was really good. It was like, what the fuck is going to happen here? I can't tell where, where Goldblum is going. Um, and it was it was kind of a shame that they... It kind of feels like he goes up to a point, but then it's like, oh shit, actually this is about Fishburne's dive. So then they have to focus more on him and like starting drinking and doing the coke. And then he's the kind of... like Goldblum's the more rational one. And it, it, it's like... That that kind of change of pace, I, I, I suppose it's where this film was going, but Goldblum lulled me into a more entertaining kind of mood. Um, I mean, the the bit where it's like he's he's coming out of that girl's apartment, he's like, I don't know what it is about balling black chicks, and it, you know, it's like, it's like what? It's just, I, I will watch this version of Goldblum all day long. Thank you very much. And just the, but also contrasting with how intense he is with his daughter with her maths. 
Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. She will get this. You know, and it's, it's almost like he's got to scream at his wife, like, shut up, shut up! Two plus two equals! You know, but uh, never quite get, get, yeah, gets there. He's just like, it's very subtle. But, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, a fair, again, kind of weirdly like Black Caesar. It's kind of a rise and fall thing, but from a very different point of view. Um, but... And it's and it's really intense in some spots. I mean, the the moment where the crack lady is kind of like, "You like my kid, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I let you have him. I let you have him. Yeah, two thousand dollars." And he's like, "No. What? You don't think he's worth that? You know, I, I, it's my son." And just the way that she's she's only in a couple of scenes, but the the way she is so fucking off on one is is really disturbing. Um, so it's the first scene, the first scene where she gets him by. Um where she like he's coming into the room and she starts going on at him. I was just fucking. I had to take the the headphone. I was watching this on the train. I had to take my headphones out for a minute because she was driving me fucking mental. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but she, I mean that is completely intended, you know. And it's oh, it's, yeah. it's just because I was thinking like, well, shit, is he going to get into a relationship with her? And it's going to, you know, and it was. It kind of took me down that road, and maybe it's just cinematic convention, I don't know, but it, it took me down that road, and then it's like, no, she's in a couple of scenes, and then, you know, she turns up dead later on, and okay, then fair enough. Um, so, yeah, no, I I I really enjoyed it. I, I feel like this is in Noel's wheelhouse as well, to be fair. Oh, very much, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. go on. Yeah, it's a film I'd, um, I know I've seen but it was a damn long time ago, so I didn't really remember that much about it. I'd forgotten all Jeff Goldblum stuff, which was great. Mm. Um, I think um, you're absolutely right. I think it's inter- Jeff Goldblum's is the slightly more interesting character here because, yes, he's Goldblum and he's entertaining, but also he is walking a very fine line and you don't know what side he's going to fall on all the time. Sometimes he... He comes across as, you know, okay, he's the nerdy lawyer guy who's gotten in above his head. And then other times he's, you know, he's, he's, he's borderline psychotic. And what's he going to do? Is he just going to shoot someone? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the moment where he crosses over a little bit, um, is of course the scene with the, the, the hand punching thing. But then after that, um, where the, I can't remember the character's name, um, Guzman, is it? Um, sort of wears a wire and then they, it's the car chasing oh, after that. Sorry? Felix. Felix, yeah, that's it. Um, he sort of, um, he sort of loses it in the back of the car. That seems really intense because you're like, and then he shoots him in one hand and then he shoots him in the other hand and he's telling him to jump out of the car and Larry Fishburne's saying, you know, telling him not to tell him to do that. And then when he does what he does and he's, Leaning out of the car and he screams, uh, "Yeah, well, I've jumbo shrimp. It's, well, I've jumbo shrimp, motherfucker." And it's like, this is beautiful. Yeah. This is brilliant. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think I've probably forgotten the noir element of it as well. I think I just thought of it as being within that sort of New Jack City kind of uh, menace to society era of. Of um, yeah, you know, modern black exploitation, if you like that sort of that really nice era of stuff. Um, so it was nice to see that that noir stuff come through uh, again as well, and, and and to see Lawrence uh, Fishburne back when he was Larry Fishburne, just doing something as a central uh, performance. 
was this was his last. This was his last Larry Fishburne. Film. I, I was going to say it. It, fe- it feels like it, it. It was like how the fuck was he still Larry Fishburne doing this? Yeah, so, it, this yeah, this, this was the last film he was credited as Larry Fishburne for. That makes total sense. Um, yeah, no, it just it's. Um, Hell of a film. Sorry, I, I um, my the fan is is blowing really cold air at me, and I'm loving it. I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting slightly distracted. Um, the thing is, as well, I mean, this was this was when you know Lawrence Fishburne was was in a really fucking he was just a really kind of productive you know, few years in his career where he was churning out some fucking great movies. You know, in nineteen eighty, I think he did King of New York, and then. And Boys and Lord was the film he did before Deep Cover, and then he was Ike Turner the year after, and you know he was he was making some really fucking interesting shit, you know, leading up to sort of going up to the Matrix, and then it kind of all went a little bit downhill since then, really, to be honest. Uh, you know, that's we're not not downhill. He still makes a fantastic movies post Matrix, but that's when you also started getting peppered in things like fucking Biker Boys and um, stuff like that. So yeah, it was. Um, it, it, like you say, this, this does feel like it, it should have been the first Lawrence Fishburne movie. Or Boys in the Hood maybe should have been the first Lawrence Fishburne movie. Yeah, and it's it's interesting as well because at this particular point in his career, obviously he'd been in um, he'd been in Boys of the Hood, uh, Boys in the Hood, um, and he'd been in Deep Cover. So he was a very cool actor. I mean, he, he was attached to two films that that had incredible soundtracks um mm. this and boys in the hood um and were soundtracks that i had on rotation very heavily at, at around that time as well um so you know he, he was he was riding a real high and, and and it feels like although he'd done stuff like boys in the hood and deep cover and class action and and, and stuff like that he'd um He'd made a name for himself as a cool actor, but it feels a little bit to me like Love's got uh, what's Love got to do with it was the one where he tried to step up and become maybe uh, a, a, a more uh, an attempt at maybe being an award-winning actor. Yeah, and um, that was. And the, and the thing is, he, I remember seeing uh, an interview with him. So I got I got quite into post deep cover, quite into um, Lawrence Fishburne, um, and he was saying that. Everybody, everybody was telling him uh, not to do what Slug got to do with it. Yeah. Was saying, you well, know, Mike Turner's incredibly dislikable character in his That's so it. And it, it, it. They were saying, you know, don't do it because you're you're playing one of the most unlikable, you know, uh, black stars there is. Yeah. Um, and the film. It, it, it doesn't. It, it, it absolutely doesn't pay him in, in, in a good light, which it, no, it should. It is what I'm saying. But yeah, there was there was that, you know. And it, I think he, he made another. Um, did you ever see the John Singleton follow up to Boys in the Hood, the Higher Learning? Yes. Yeah. That's another movie that, that, of the time that's that doesn't sort of get. Uh, have you ever seen Higher Learning? No, I haven't. I it's. Um... Cinema of this, film. cinema of this ilk is a bit of a bl- blind spot for me. To be absolutely what? honest with you, and it kind of feels like something I should rectify. I've never seen Boys in the Hood, you know. So it, you should, you should oh, see Boys in the Hood. Yeah, Certainly Boys in the Hood. Yeah. So but like the, the here's the cast. Happen, you know? Here's the cast of Higher Learning: Omar Epps, Kirsty Swanson, Michael Rappaport, Ice Cube, Jennifer Connelly, Tyra Banks, 
Cole Hauser, Buster Himes, Lawrence Fishburne, and Gwyneth Paltrow. That's a fucking oh, gosh, Gwyneth Paltrow, isn't it? Yeah, Adam Goldberg's in there as well. Uh, and it's it's all set around a college um, campus where Lawrence Fishburne plays the professor, and it's all about um, race relations and um, campus um, rape and sexuality and all things like that. It's a fucking really intense movie yeah i seem to remember it at the time i seem to remember higher learning as well being the one i mean i don't know about theatrical releases or anything like that but i seem to remember it being the one where it it almost felt like okay we've had boys in the hood and that did well and we've had this and that did well this is the big one now Uh, it It was to have that sense of sense of it and i don't know if it lived up to that because it's certainly not one people talk about as much as boys in the hood or new jack city and minister society um, but it had that sense about it that this was going to be more of a cross, even more of a crossover than Boys in the Hood was. I, I might be talking absolute bobbins here, but I seem to remember it. Um, it got a write up in the New York Times um, about the. Uh, there's a there's an early scene in the movie. There's an early rape scene in the movie, uh, which isn't actually particularly graphic or anything like that. Um, but the fact that it was dealt with in a non-graphic way and such a, this just happens and this happens a lot. And the film kind of deals with that and says, this happens a lot. That kind of gave it a lot of bad write-ups, which kind of hindered it quite a lot, uh, especially in America. And what the thing is, at the time, you had, it wasn't like a movie came out at the same time higher learning came out in america and it was like six months until it came out in in the uk um so a lot of the the sort of the, the press the uk got from it was based on the press that the americans had had for it uh, right. so that kind of it, it ended up being like you say it was the one that they were pushing and it was the one that they were saying look this has got fucking shit to say it was it was plus two hours long, etc. you know. But then, you know, it was John Singleton, it was his big, you know, it was the big movie that he was going to do, which was going to deal with not just um, black-centric issues, but overall issues of, of youth culture. Um, and it just, it, it, it pissed too many people off. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, <clears throat> it was dead before it arrived. Uh, A little bit, in, in, much, in, yeah. in certain circumstances, yeah. And I think that... You know, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne said previously that he just thinks that um, that era of, you know, early Clinton white America just probably wasn't quite ready for this movie. No, and I think it was it was it was a time where what was happening with rap music as well was Mm. the there was a lot of fear around. there was a lot of fear around, like all of a sudden white parents were, were worried about their kids listening to black music. And that was happening a lot, despite the, you know, despite the fact that NWA had come in an awful lot earlier and Ice-T had been around for a really long time at that point, you know, at this point, Ice-T was coming out and saying, white people, you should be worried because my, your kids are listening to this and white people were listening to that and saying, and saying, oh shit, we should be worried about this. I think this 1995 would have been around the time that, uh, I mean, I'd have to check, but I would guess that would be about the, about the time that Home Invasion by Ice T came out, which was, yeah. you know, the title track is about um, uh, the title track is about two things. It's it's kind of the idea that someone can burst into your house and, and assault you, but actually 
Because it, I see the theme of that is I am in your house assaulting uh, your children with my violence and, and stories of truth sort of thing. So it sort of makes sense that people would have been reactive to that, I think. There's also a great scene I learned of Buster Rhymes when a party gets shut down and he's talking to the cops outside and all he's doing is every time a girl walks out, he's just looking at them going, oh, man, man, look, man, look. Oh, God, hit that. And he's basically saying that. And the cop is just nodding at him and he's going, oh, and he just... He looks so upset. <laughs> He's also called dreads in it, I think. Do you think he knew he was on camera at that point? No, I, 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 I don't think he knew he was in a movie. No, no. So, anyway, I've just battled about another, a completely different film for five minutes. Yeah. Apologies for that. <laughs> okay, so Ian, anything to add on uh, on Deep Cover? No, good, man. Enjoyed it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have it. Good. Definitely pay it for them by the sounds of things. I think we've, uh, I think we're all agreed on that. Um, so <laughs> let's move on to the third film. Um, the third film was a choice uh, from Ian for me. Ian, if you would like to explain what the fuck uh, <laughs> you would like to explain, the Greasy Strangler. Did you both watch it? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Right. Okay. I didn't rewatch it. I just, I just wanted you two to watch it. Um, <laughs> so um, I only watched it a few months back, to be fair. So the Greasy Strangler. Okay, this is the editor of Empire, Terry White. It's one of her favorite. No, it's her favorite film of last year. Um, yeah. And it got a lot of word when it when it came out. It was like a big kind of draft house thing in the US and. Uh, ben Wheatley, I think, produced it, if I remember correctly. And so I was intrigued by it. And I watched it. And I just thought, I need Noel to see this. <laughs> and what better way that, to, to get Noel to see it than to force it into his iTunes collection? <laughs> <laughs> that is what this podcast was for is for yeah so the thing is i i quite like the greasy strangler because it is it is lynchian and john watersian in its undiluted this is what the director wanted to do this is absolutely no compromise. I'm going to let it literally all hang out cinema, which is fairly rare in this day and age. And is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Let's discuss. But it's fair to say that in today's cinema you'll never see anything like the Greasy Strangler nope that's, 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 that's true it's yeah so the Greasy Strangler as I I pointed out to, to you again on, on WhatsApp while I was watching this because I was ready for this I, I had seen the trailer a long long time ago I think we discussed it off off air somewhere um, I seem to remember seeing the trailer and thinking, this looks fucking mental. Um, 
I'm sure I could have fun with this. I'm sure I could have a good time with this. Um, it passed me by since then. I didn't. It, it must have just crept out, and I didn't. I didn't see it. Uh, obviously, um, so I was aware of it. Um, I had not really heard any opinion on it. I don't think since then. Um, and it was a Friday night. Um, I was sat downstairs, Claire, Claire had gone to bed, I had a few beers, I'd had a long week, I was ready to have um, the kind of experience that I was expecting from the Greasy Strangler. Um, it was probably about five or six minutes into it, um, during uh, you know a, a conversation with a conversation between the two lead characters, Big Ronnie and, and Big Braden, the, the father and, and son characters who, who this all centers around, that I realized and uh, that this was definitely going to go one of two ways. And I said on the WhatsApp group, I said, this is going to go one of two ways. Uh, I could just tell by the, the dialogue that I was either going to get on board um, or I was going to start squirming in my seat a little bit. Um, it was around the, the 10.57 mark, uh, because I just remember checking the time at that point. Um, it was around the 10.57 mark when there are three uh, very, very much side characters um, who are having a conversation about um, paprika-flavoured potato chips at a vending machine, um, and one of them says potato in a funny accent, maybe eight, nine, ten, I lost count times. Um, it was around that point that I realised that I was going to fucking hate this film. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um <laughs> the, the the thing is, is I remember checking the time at 10.57 and then uh, I, I checked the time again at another point um, and that was at around 17 minutes and then I thought alright well I'm just going to try and crack on with this and then I checked the time again and it was 33 minutes and then I thought right well I don't want this to become a thing, but I think it would be quite interesting if I kept a log of when I did check the time on on, on this. So, anything um, to get you through it, though. Anything to get you through it. (laughs) These were the moments that I that I checked the time: ten fifty-seven, seventeen minutes twenty, thirty-three minutes forty-three, forty-three minutes sixteen. 61 minutes 3, 72 minutes 3, 76 minutes and 1 second. And I think from there I was probably drunk enough that I just kind of saw it through. Um, it, 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 the problem that I have is that it's not that it's, in my opinion, it's not that it is waters Ian or Lynchian, or No Compromise. It's that it wants me to think that it's all those things. Um, And what comes across to me in the dialogue, you know, moments where you've got these two characters in matching pink turtlenecks shouting bullshit artists at each other, it wants me to come away from it with a fancy dress option and a catchphrase and... um, 
and something that I can repeat to my friends as a, as you know, um, a memorable line, the best films that give you, I mean, look at, look at the big Lebowski is a great example. Um, the big Lebowski is a film by some directors who made something with love, which is naturally funny and naturally charming and has a million catchphrases that people still cite to this day. That was kind of, I don't think that the Coens went into making a film thinking we should run in some catchphrases here because we want people to, to carry on those catchphrases further down the line. Um, people go to, to festivals dressed as the dude. I don't think the Coen brothers were thinking we should dress this character like this so that people will cosplay as him for, for many years down the line. In The Greasy Strangler, it feels like every line of dialogue that's put in there, every um, unesthetically pleasing character, every outfit choice, um, and every put-down or conversation that's had is done with the intention of of appealing to me. And it's like it desperately wants to be my friend. Um, and that sort of rubs me wrong. Um, it, it felt a little bit like it wanted to be a horror, a horror drama version of Napoleon Dynamite, a film that sort of exists in that sort of, it's not, it's a non-existent time. It's sort of like the eighties because everybody's dressed like they, they got dressed in, in a charity shop. Um, and everybody's got sort of hair that's a bit too long and greasy and uncomfortable. And every pair of glasses that everybody's got has to be a thick ribbed pair of glasses. It, it feels like it operates in that space. Uh, but it felt like it was sort of forcing that aesthetic on me as something that, Hey, you'll like this because you like this stuff. Um, and that sort of, that, that turned me off, unfortunately. Um, just the way everybody's walking around in their underpants and everybody's meant to look uncomfortably, everybody's meant to look uncomfortable and unattractive. And, um, it just, it, it sent like, it, it was like, it was like nails on a chart on a, on a, on a blackboard, on a chartboard or whatever the phrase is. Um, at times with, you know, I like to put my tongue between the ridges because of the salty goodness. And it's like that they all of a sudden ha start having a, a conversation about ridged crisps because you can put your tongue in them for the salty goodness. And it's like, fuck off. Like just, just fuck off. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess there's moments in there that, it's it's a film that's doing two things. It's it's a film that's that's doing the sort of indie drama South by Southwest hit kind of thing. And I think there's moments in there like that that are interesting. Um, but then it wants to be a cult film with a sort of horror aesthetic at times as well. So you'll see uh, the main character of Big Ronnie walking about with his cock out or wearing some sort of lycra thing where you, which has got a window in the front where you can see his cock and he's sort of like gyrating to some ridiculous, um, like di electronica sort of soundtrack because it wants you to, to, uh, to evoke some sort of, 
a Carpenter-esque thing. So there's even a moment where he dresses up as a character that looks like he's dressed as John Carpenter. Um, so I don't know. It just felt like it was, it felt like it was trying to be, it felt like they wanted the next big cult hit written in quotation marks on the poster. And I'm just of the feeling that the, that that's not something the film should decide that's something the audience should decide. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. We've had a good show so far, but I fucking, I really didn't like it. Well, I fought the dog on that one, didn't I, boys? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm glad that I watched it. I am glad that I watched it because. Can you ask, um, can you ask for things to be removed from your iTunes library? Maybe that's no, the thing. No, 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 no. No, and I wouldn't have it any other way, because because now when I every time I, I glance past it, there'll be a little there'll be a little shiver of discomfort down my back, and you know what? That's probably what the director Jim Hosking would would want. Um, so there there we go. I'm interested to hear what what Mark thinks. Yeah, I'm fucking fascinated to see what Mark <laughs> yeah. thinks. To be honest, he's gonna say he likes it. Who did you say put his animal filming? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, the yeah. editor of Empire. Yeah. The editor of the Premiere Movie Magazine uh, in the UK put this as her favourite film of the year. Yeah. The editor of the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. Put it as her favourite film of the year. Yeah. Yeah, right. Bullshit artist. Bullshit artist. <laughs> she doesn't... There is no way, and I'm, I'm absolutely 100% calling bullshit artist on that. She doesn't think this is the number one movie of that year. She wants people to think she thinks it's the number one yeah. movie of the year. It is the ultimate acts of contrarianism from a fucking magazine that essentially is a TV magazine that occasionally has fucking film features in it. Um, this film has no point in existence. At all. It's barely a fucking film. It is a sketch that the director thinks funny, uh, portrayed as a film that keeps fucking repeating itself. Um, I, yeah, um, I'm glad I've watched it. Because now. I am I, glad I watched it, I must say. I am definitely glad I watched yeah, it. So I, 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 I am glad I watched it because now when I get people come up to me and I, I chat with film friends and things like that and they go, oh, you're Chris Fleming, it's great, it's fun, it's, it's nice, so it's cool. I can go, no, it's fucking not. All right, it is not nihilistic fun. It is absolute bobbins, to kind of the phrase. Um, it's, yeah, like you were saying, it, uh, no, uh, no, it is. It's, it's a director wanting to do things to try and seem shocking rather than doing shocking things. And that's that's what fucking grated on me. Um, I, it is uncomfortable to watch. It's pretty icky to watch. It's pretty disgusting to watch. Um, but there's too much in it that makes you go... <sighs> really? We get it. He walks around with a his dick out. Stop showing me it. <laughs> I don't. I, I. I get your fucking point. And the the grease thing, and it just needs more grease, and everything needs more grease. It, it's just right. Fine. I, I. I get it. I get. It. I can absolutely see how people could have a. Some certain people. 
could have a good time with this movie. I, I absolutely can see. I, I, how... I, I gotta say, I liked the repeated bits of him in the car wash. I'm sorry. I, I was I, just gonna say, I liked that. Yes. The, the do you know what? I didn't the, mind that one shot being used over and over again. I, I thought that was all right. It, that kind of it, it, it made bit, sense. Felt a bit Edgar Wright-ish almost, like just that sort of quick sort of flap, 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 flap. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that I, I was fine with, um, but the fact that yeah, it, it it's set in some other weird fucking universe where everybody's a bit dumb and not not quite there. Everybody talks to each other like a child, like everybody everybody speaks like they're they're you know they're eight years old, and it's just weird. It's just like and not weird in the good way. It's just yeah. like why you no, and this is yeah, this, this yeah, always yeah, takes yeah, me back yeah, to the nonsense. the whole fucking thing of um of the way that it, it's um David Lynch said after he made Inland Empire uh, that the beauty of digital digital film and digital photography is that he made Inland Empire on um, a set of cameras that he he went to a fucking store and bought and that was amazing and he said that the the great thing about digital, and numerous characters are the great thing about digital, is like the VHS movement of the um, of the eighties, was that it opened up movies to be able to be made by anyone. Anybody could go out and make them. That was a wonderful thing, and I cannot disagree with that more. It's not a wonderful thing. It, it, it's it's not because occasionally you get somebody like Jim Hoskins will go out and make this movie, and that is the problem with anybody who has an idea should go out and go out and make your movie if it's the movie you want to make. Because I don't think this is the movie he wants to make. I think this is a movie where he's gone. Do you know what? This is going to get attention. This is maybe they'll get attention, and I think that's the problem. I don't think it's necessarily that you know the fact that anybody can make a movie now in the same way as VHS allowed anybody to make a movie back then. I think the problem now, the the situation in the eighties was very. The situation in the VHS era was very different. Uh, the situation there was you could go out and make a movie and get it funded and it exists outside the Hollywood system. The situation that you've got now is that you can make a movie that attempts to do a certain thing and have it play at festivals like South by Southwest. And then the world will decide, not the world, there's a certain part of the internet that will decide that that's a hit and that that's deserves a, a quote on a poster and that that's, you know, that's the new South by Southwest hit and, and then all of a sudden, then that's like, oh, check out how cool this is. And it's like, well, no, that's not how that's not how the VHS era worked. There was an awful lot of films that were made. A lot of them were shit. And now we can go back and pick through those and go, you know what? Actually, this one was pretty good. This one's shit. This one's shit. But you know what? This one actually was pretty good. But now it works the other way around. There's probably an awful lot of movies out there that are interesting, that are good, but we're not getting to see them because fucking clowns like the editor of Empire are talking to us about this shit. So that's where the problem is. Hmm. I feel. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Like I say, I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad it's not in my iTunes library. (laughs) (laughs) Usually, usually whatever we cover on here, I buy. The Greasy Strangler, I thought, no, that's on on Sky Go. I'm going to... I'm going to give it a go on that, and then if I like it, I'll buy it. But I didn't. But then again, I'm a little bit funny about food-related things. Oh, God. All right. Well, that's going to, yeah. 
That's like yeah, I, I, can't even watch people eat. It makes me feel weird, and I, if anyone's ever allowed eating near me, then Christ, that makes me, it, it, it actually makes me shudder, and I have to kind of leave the fucking room. But on that as well, I mean, that's the, the whole sort of this, the idea of Greece being this. Um, I mean, I, I watched the, I rewatched the trailer of it today, um, and at the beginning, there's a, it says, you know, on the sort of um, the Green Band trailer sort of thing where it says scenes of a whatever nature it says on there oh may contain it contains scenes of a greasy nature and then in the within the first sort of five ten minutes of the film you've got uh the main character of big ronnie and he's saying something like oh i wonder why they don't put more grease in coffee maybe people should eat should have grease in coffee what do you think about greasy coffee and they're just talking about grease and it just feels like all right the director, Jim Hosking, and probably his writer friend, Toby Harvard, probably went to college together and they've probably got a little in-joke about Greece. That there's probably, it's probably a little thing that they say to each other. And they've hooked this whole film around this little in-joke that they've got. I'm completely making this up. This might not be true, but that it feels like there's this little in-joke that they think is funny. They think, they think is funny and they want, to sort of enforce that on the world so that their little in-joke gets a little bit more, um, gets a little bit more air. And that sense of just, you know, not being part of, not being part of the collective joke, but having it enforced on you because we think this is cool and we think this is funny just sets my teeth on edge. Like, and and it it comes back to the the, the main thing that I'm saying is, is that, it's less about a film that is cool. It's less about being a, a low-budget film that is cool and that is charming, that is funny, and that does have something unique going on about it. And it's more about a film that wants you to think that's what it is. And I just, it feels incredibly inauthentic to me personally. I, I get what you're saying about. It, him wanting attention, like wanting attention with this, but I don't know how anyone makes this film and thinks they're actually going to get some sort of release out of it. It was um, Elijah Wood's production company. That's why. Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood's production company. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't think they were in, like, they weren't involved in the scripting stage. Surely, like, some he had to write this. And, and in the end of the day, Elijah Wood, yeah, he's a geek-friendly guy, but he also runs a company which needs to make money. Mm. That's it. But the fact that the, this movie... I mean, it's an hour and 30 minutes long, but it repeats itself several times within the movie. Look, I just... I wanted you two to watch The Greasy Strangler. That's literally why I... I and obviously it's gone <laughs> horrifically wrong. <laughs> No, it's not. No, it's actually gone fine. Because it's worth worth it for the discussion. It's just... It's like we've done... This is the third episode, I think, now. And we've all been pretty chill with everybody's choices. (laughs) We have. (laughs) It's like, bang, here we go. Well, this is it, though, Ian. It's, It's either a challenging film which sparks furious debate or... 
it's a film that the director wants you to think is a furious film that sparks furious debate. So it's that's the thing, isn't it? That's what the director wanted it to be, and that's what it is clearly because that's what we're doing. And it's basically so, well, it's basically turned into so you maybe I'm saying wrong. it's shit and me going, yeah, all right, then fair enough. Which you know, it probably <laughs> you know, it's probably not the 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 the, the best discussion. Um, but we've been we've been here before. What was that? What was that? I remember on Heroes, um, was it? Bellflower. We were talking about oh, Bellflower. Oh, Bellflower, yeah. And I love, I loved Bellflower. I really enjoyed it. And I think you two hated it. Fucking and I think pro- film, but no. Yeah, and I no. think probably if I went back and watched Bellflower now, I'd think exactly the same thing that I'm, I'd think exactly the same things and say the same things that I'm saying about the Greasy Strangler. It's just <laughs> maybe I'm just more sensitive to being not pandered to, but just sort of. I don't know. I've got to say, I don't know. I've got to say, subconsciously, there's probably a reason why, out of all of these films that we've done on on this on playing it forward so far, this is the one I haven't watched for the show. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, sorry. Well, if you ever want to borrow my iTunes login, fucking feel free because he's right there. <laughs> With a big pink, with a big pink cover. <laughs> you give it back. <laughs> Ungift. No, I'm, no I mean, I'm serious though, man. I mean, at the end of the day, no. like, surely you must be able to contact Apple and say, "Look, this was gifted to me by a fucking bellend. Could you please take <laughs> it off?" No, that's not what I want. That's not the point. The point of this podcast is for this to happen. Well, so th- I, this, this is this is this is all correct. To be this fair, right. you're buying for me next time, and I'm very unsure as to whether I want that particular film in my in my digital library. <laughs> so you know. Um, well, yeah. I'm sorry you thought it was shit, guys. Well, it's quite all right. Let's say I'm glad I've watched it. I'm glad we watched it, and I am glad we watched it, and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it, and I'm glad that I now have an opinion on it as well. Um, and as I say, that's the purpose of, of this podcast, and actually the fact that we both just had... We, we've we we've all just enjoyed talking about two films. It's kind of more interesting to throw in there something that's a little bit, um, you know, like... The, the sand in the vagina sort of situation so um, so I'm happy about it uh, the, oh, don't 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 um, <laughs> so yeah n- needless to say I would not pay it forward uh, <laughs> it's unless it uh, I don't know I don't know actually it depends because there's a certain type of uh, there's yeah. a certain type of person that might get something out of this and um, I, I don't know I guess I'm just not it uh, maybe I was many many moons ago. Who knows? Um, so that's the Greasy Strangler. We've got two pay it forwards in um, Black Caesar and Deep Cover. Uh, fairly unanimous no on the Greasy Sang- Strangler, Ian. Yeah, I mean, you did pay it forward, but you you, it, it, you wouldn't. Even the one who played it forward is is not. It's contemplating giving it back, <laughs> and I'm I'm contemplating just you know, I don't know. Can it just not be anywhere? <laughs> Let's just never speak of it again. Yeah, that's fine. 
It's it's like yeah, you don't want to. I don't want Jim Hosking to um, to have any more attention. So, um, but but as I say, as I as I gently thumb past the uh, the bright pink the bright pink uh, cover of the Greasy Greasy Strangler, I will always remember this conversation. So, so that's what we're here for. Um, all right, well that's all three films done. Um, do we have anything else to uh, to talk about before we call it an evening? Um, well, should we should next we, film? Yeah, let's let's talk that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So so this time around, um, I will be buying for Ian. Ian will be buying for Mark, and Mark is buying for me. So uh, I'll start because we talked about this a little bit earlier. This was a very different way of picking a film this time around. Um, I happened to be, uh, I work for a university now, and I happened to be out and about around the university, and there was a young girl who was screaming uh, to her friends uh, while pointing at a poster of, um, while pointing at a poster of one of the uh, the graduates' uh, fashion um, uh, fashion um exam pieces uh and she was screaming something like oh my god is this supposed to be fashion how the hell are you supposed to wear that sort of thing and i just thought to myself this would be a wonderful time to just spout meryl streep's um uh, meryl streep's um uh, speech about how fashion trickles down uh to anne hathaway in the devil was prada uh, i mentioned this on whatsapp ian said Oh, I've actually not seen The Devil Wears Prada. And I jokingly said, well, guess what you're fucking going to see next month? Um, at which point I kind of said, no, I'm only joking. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to enforce that on you. And then as the conversation went on, I was like, well, you know what? It's it's a good movie. I enjoy it. It's a good, solid it's a good solid flick. And maybe you'll get something out of it. And Ian said, all right, well, maybe I could watch that with Donna and let's go for it. So I'm going to be sending The Devil Wears Prada <laughs> to Ian. Uh, once this show finishes, um, Ian, you've got something very different for Mark. Yeah, I do. So over the last few weeks on the regular show, we've been doing Twin Peaks recaps, and I've been um, continuously referencing the Howell Ashby film being there, and Mark's been kind of saying, "Yep, yeah, yep," yeah, and uh, and kind of. I, I was aware of it. But I, I, I realised that I'd not actually seen it. It's just like I. I, I think I literally said what the plot was, and I almost said what the ending was at one point, because um, I say you won't see the ending coming. Um, so, yeah, Mark's not seen being there, so I am gifting uh, Mark being there, which is only available in standard definition on iTunes. Um, so it's going to look horrific, guys, so let's let's get ready for that. Um, but it's a really, really interesting film. Peter Sellers is really good in it. I genuinely, I'm going to rewatch this because it's a good film. I promise. Excellent. Well, I've not seen that either, so so that's good. Fantastic. Um, and Mark, you are buying or have bought for me. So, um, uh, what is that and why? Uh, I have got for you uh, The Last Unicorn, um, 
which is a 1982 animated fantasy film uh, by Arthur Rankin and Jules Brass. Uh, and it stars the voices of Alan Arkin, Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow, Angela Lansbury, and Christopher Lee. Um, it's uh, it's a film that I, I had as, as a kid, um, to be honest. And it, it's... I know that you're you're partial to your kind of eighties dark animation, and this is this is what this is. It, it, it's it's certainly it is technically animated. It, it's a PG, so it's not like an adult animation movie, but it is very dark. Yeah, <laughs> is what I would say about it. Um, and I, I I was actually in the car, and I jokingly mentioned something uh, about the last year concert. I should pick that first. No. No, no, Becky said, yeah, you should put that for Noel for his next, what is it? Um, and I went, no, I don't think, wait a minute. Actually, yeah, I think I could. And, <laughs> and I'm glad you did. It's, it's like, funny because you're dead right. The, the sort of, I love uh, sort of early to mid 80s kids films that are a little bit dark and a little bit odd. I don't know why I've never seen this, especially stuff that, that is in animation. So, um, stuff like Rock and Rule or Star Chaser, The Legend of Orion. I, I do yeah. really like stuff like that or, or Fire and Ice, that type of thing. Um, so I feel like I've heard of this, uh, but I just, it, it's, it's one of those great films that's just been lost to time a little bit. So, um, I'm really looking forward to it, and I can probably watch it with Charlie as well. So, so that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. I will. Yeah, I would think you, you, you probably could. Yeah. I will say yeah. well, I googled it earlier on, and there were articles about how it it, it was like nightmare fuel for kids. Oh really? Yeah, you okay. might maybe uh, just read maybe just read. I'll like watch it on my own first. What yeah. I would say, yeah, is, is watch on your own first, and then possibly judge and watch it on Charlie because there is. Yeah. Um. We have one of the the whole things is uh, um, where the unicorns have gone. Let's say uh, oh, okay. a red ball. But it's yeah, I just yeah, he's not really I have feeling I have, I have, I have, I'm conversations. We're <laughs> both gonna like it to be honest. Yeah, I'm fucking yeah. Much. I mean a few a few yeah. years yeah a few years. I, I'm I'm certainly of the mind that kids should experience this stuff early on and 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 build up a defense mechanism because I know I did, but um, he's still three so it's not you know there's no rush on that um so yeah i'll watch it on my own and, and we'll take it from there uh excellent well that was our show and that will be our next one um not too sure when that will be um i guess is there any bad weeks coming up um it's probably gonna be a week in july couldn't tell you when, but I'm sure there will. I mean, we've got well, we've got Spider-Man: Homecoming, we got Dunkirk, we got War for the Planet of the Apes. Late, I think late July would would probably be would probably be fitting. So between Spider-Man and Dunkirk and Transformers, and then another um, episode of of this, then. You're not really getting rid of me anytime soon, I suppose, are you? Uh, no, no, we're good. <laughs> yes, excellent. Um, I'm just going to have a quick look now if fucking the FDA website would stop being a fucking bell end. Um, right, what's July? Uh, July, 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 July. Where am I now? Spider-Man. Um, right, 21st of July is Dunkirk. Um... 47 metres, uh, so 28th of July, 47 metres down, Hounds of Love, 
Oh, the big sick. I actually want to see that. Um, we'll find something. We'll find mm. something. It'll happen. Yeah. It'll happen. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Right. Well, I guess that means it's time to close the portal to the extended uh, dude in a monkey universe or, or damn you for uh, for another month or so. Um, watch this space. Um, that was play it forward and we'll do it again soon. Um, so I guess it's bye-bye from me and bye-bye from everyone else. Bye-bye. Bye. We'll just, we'll just have to do two episodes in a week at some point. It'll be fine. Yeah, fuck yeah. it. Can you do that? Nice.